Libby, it's been a hot minute since we've done an episode, but I've got to tell you, I just I don't have any ideas for this one. Do you have any ideas? Yeah. Let's get lit and jump off the roof of my house. <laughs> okay. Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rocking good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks. My name is Joseph Wade. I'll be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, what's shaking? I want to say I hate you for making me watch this, but I'm kind of glad I did. I'm sort of swimming in early aughts nostalgia now, despite my better judgment. Yeah, that's definitely going to be the course of action tonight. This is just pure strain 2002. Where were you in 2002? Um, <laughs> if this was an American Graffiti sequel, that would be a perfect tagline. <laughs> oh, God. Let's not even think about that nightmare. Uh, but yeah, this week on the show, we're talking about the 2002 uh, teen comedy Orange County, a movie that when I was 15, I thought was actually profound. And that's why I brought it to Libby's attention for the podcast. And I don't know if that was a smart move or not. Well, and we're also doing this episode uh, in tribute to Taylor Hawkins. Uh, the Foo Fighters do appear on this one, and we wanted to pay tribute to the late, great Taylor Hawkins. He is much missed. Yes, absolutely. That was a that was just such a, a out of nowhere kind of thing. Like, I don't, yeah, I, I don't so... think we've, I don't think people have processed it fully yet. Like. Like, t- like one of the last like great rock drummers is gone. Yeah. And and, that's a huge, and was, those are huge shoes to fill. Yeah. And I was thinking about that as, as I was watching this, you know, you kind of, I don't want to say you forgot, but you realize you're sort of like living in a world without him. Yeah. And you're just like, ah, oh, shit, that's right. It's, it's been so crazy that I, you know, it kind of slips your mind. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll pay homage to him tonight. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking a lot about the Foo Fighters tonight, even though they, they only do one song, but that one song is like one of the big linchpins of this album. Mm-hmm. But before we get into any of that, we have old business from our Dirty Dancing episode that we have to discuss. Yeah, We ran we two do. polls from Dirty Dancing, which we had a blast with. I think everybody Oh my God, it. so much fun. So we ran two polls. The first, we asked you what the best uh, classic 60s track was on the album. And with 44.5% of the vote, the Runettes' Be My Baby won that poll easily. Oh, yeah. Honestly, I I could have seen any one of these four winning. Um, The Contours' Do You Love Me was in second place with 28%. And then tied for third, uh, Bruce Channel's Hey Baby. And then Maurice and the Zodiacs, Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs, rather, with Stay at, at 14%. All great songs. Yeah, um, although we could have swapped any one of them out with Mickey and Sylvia's Love is Strange as well. I mean, we certainly it, could it was hard to narrow it down to those four. Uh, and then moving on to the contemporary 80s songs. <laughs> this one was a little more contentious, but with 45% of the vote, uh, Eric Carmen's Hungry Eyes won that poll. That surprised and... me. And I think in part, not because it's not a, a you know, fun song although it does have big divorced dad energy as you said um just because eric carmen is such a 
greasy little bitch bag <laughs> that I was kind of surprised that people didn't like vote against him. Yeah. Like I, I really thought time of my life was going to be the winner on that poll. And it took yeah. second place with 33%. Um, <laughs> Patrick Swayze, third place with 20% of the vote. She's like the wind. And a lot of people came out in the comments in support of she's like the wind. Yeah, they did. So. A lot of vocal support for that one. Mm-hmm. So again, okay. a, a case a case where this could have really gone one of three ways. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, because we had to fit a fourth one in there, uh, Zappacosta's Overload got a, a paltry 2%. I really like that song. I, not more than Time of My Life or She's Like the Wind, but... Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not bad. Yeah, it was kind of fun. So we also ran a third joke poll. Yes, we did. asked, which movie used Do You Love Me better, Dirty Dancing or Teen Wolf 2? And with 55.6% of the vote, Dirty Dancing won out. But it was surprisingly tight because Teen Wolf 2 got 44.4% of the vote. Who hurt you people? <laughs> I was I... thinking about Teen Wolf 2 the other day because uh, I was watching I Was a Teenage Werewolf on MST3K. Oh, man. <laughs> and I genuinely don't know which is worse. But yeah, check back at the end of this episode we'll be putting the poll up for orange county usually the weekend after the episode it goes to your podcast feed so look for that this coming weekend on our twitter at ost party uh we're still on the twitters for now but we'll see how that you know shakes out Mm we're gonna start our own cooler social network yeah all right so it sounds like it's time for another one of our favorite segments just billboarding school. Joe, what's on the chalkboard of rock today? Oh, boy, you know it. So the Orange County soundtrack, the movie and the soundtrack came out January 12th, 2002. Soundtrack hit the charts at number 171. Very low. Uh, the top album in America that week was Creed's third album, Weathered. Oh, gross. Everyone's favorite Creed album, right? The terrorists really did win. <laughs> The top soundtrack that week, number 24, was Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Okay. Which at this point had been on the charts for over a year, and it was still mm-hmm. massively popular. And uh, just just for uh, just for fun, I went and looked this one up. Uh, climbing the charts at number 121 this week was Jimmy Eat World's Bleed American album. Yes, uh, which is surprising given that a lot of stores refused to carry it after 9-11 because of the title. Because of the title. They had to, re- had to change it to just Jimmy Eat World. But that album would eventually peak at number 31. And that album contributed a song to the movie, which does not appear on the soundtrack. And I think yes. to, to its detriment. I agree. It could have been like the breakout single. And that song, of course, is the middle. But we will uh, we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that shortly. Um, the Orange County, the album, peaked at number 62. Fell off the charts in March after eight weeks. The number one album the week it fell off was Jennifer Lopez's remix album, J to the L-O. Ooh. And the top, sound, the top soundtrack that week at number 15 was still Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It had climbed even <laughs> higher. <laughs> we were a man of constant sorrow. It was a song of the summer. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, at the box office, the movie Orange County opened at number three behind uh, Lord of the Rings and A Beautiful Mind. Uh, it lasted about a month in the top ten and then completely vanished from the public consciousness forever. Pretty much. I know at some point the soundtrack got a vinyl reissue. 
Oh, nice. So apparently you can find um, the Orange County soundtrack. Uh, but why would you want to? It's really not not worth the uh, the needle wear, as I think we're going to find out. It's a fascinating soundtrack, though. Yeah, like this is a 15-track album. I think maybe four or five are worth listening to. Yeah. And yeah, we'll highlight those as we get to them tonight. Yes, but it's it really it really is fascinating in how it encapsulates that very specific era of music as we're still trying to find our musical footing. It's kind of trying to do two things at once here because on the one hand, like it's a movie that's set in Orange County, California, and it's about, you know, the beach culture sort of. So you got a lot of like Southern California pop punk bands on the soundtrack. But also, this is an MTV film, so it's also beholden to MTV trying to shove whoever they thought was going to be big and popular at the time on the album as well. But not who was big and popular at the time. I mean, with some, with a couple, you know, exceptions, but most of this is bands that were either past their prime or you never heard from again or never really made it big. And it's bridging this gap between that post-grunge hard rock scene and the indie movement that is rising. Yeah. We're going to see really start to peak in two years with the release of Garden State, which ha- shares a lot of similarities with this mm-hmm. movie. So it, it like there's, there's a lot about this that functions as a time capsule, but it's not, it's not even sort of an, an iconic time capsule the way other movies we've talked about are like something like the mask where it's clearly set in one specific moment and was known for that. This soundtrack hung around. It was never really that big, but when you listen to it, you're like, yeah, that is 2002 as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) There's one or two songs in here that are painfully 2002. And then just, I guess for shits and giggles, they just stuck two Brian Wilson songs on here because why not? Well, because he's a beach boy. Well, yeah, of course, but just like our main character, like a like a beach boy. Like, okay, we get it. <laughs> we oh oh, you're right. So just like yeah. Brian Wilson, our main character is kind, he's a he's a a beach boy, but also he's a sensitive soul and he's very creative and he wants yeah. to let that creativity thrive. Uh, See bark, what I mean? Is like there's there's things about this that are kind of smart. Kind of, but then you, it's you, you put it in the wrong light, and you're like, "Oh, that's baldly cynical." I know exactly what they're trying to do, and you cannot fool me. Before we get into this, Joe, I have to ask, uh, why? Why did you put me through this? <laughs> well, yeah, I, you know, I've I've suggested this uh, uh, movie and soundtrack for a while. I've we even called our shot on it like three or four months ago, and just put it on the back burner. But the reason I keep coming back to it is. Uh, for better or for worse, I know this is going to sound ridiculous. This movie actually did kind of speak to me when I was 15 years old, and I was interested in revisiting it and seeing how it plays, seeing how I felt about it now that I'm 20 years older and nowhere near the person I was when I was 15 and seeing Orange County for the first time. Okay. Because that shows growth. I respect that. Because, so let me paint just a, a brief portrait of myself as a 15 year old. 
in early 2002, I saw two movies in very quick succession that may have contributed to ruining my life. One of them was the first time I ever saw Kevin Smith's Clerks, which taught me the lesson that, yeah, I can write a movie. I can write about anything. (laughs) And then I saw Orange County, which taught me the lesson, yeah, yeah, you can write anything. You should do that. You're a white boy. You can do whatever you dream about. You're an affluent white kid. You don't have to go to a prestigious college. You can go literally anywhere and and ply your trade. <laughs> but like I was already kind of in the the mindset of like, yeah, I want to try and learn how to how to be a writer at 15 mm-hmm. because of freaking clerks. And then Orange County was just like confirmation bias. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I can do this. <laughs> oh my god, you're killing me. And I think one of the one of the smart things this movie does, the main character, Sean, he finds a book buried in the sand and he reads it and it changes his entire life. We never actually get a sense of what the book is or what it's about or anything that's in it. But we know it changed his life. I think it's supposed to be like a coming of age novel, because when he's writing this letter, he talks about like the way he writes about teens um, I love to think that there's an alternate version of this script where he finds like a dirty old hustler in the <laughs> sand and that oh, changes he, his life. He finds the beach equivalent of woods porn. Yeah, exactly. So, or maybe he yeah, finds that's... a play girl and it inspires him to go and be like an adult film star. I want to see that movie. <laughs> yeah, he's in the right place for it. Yeah, the Burt Reynolds play girl with him on the rug and decides yeah that's what i want to do with my life i want to hang out with my schlong out and then he cuts to the scene where he's on the beach and his friends are partying and he's just crying because it's just so sad (laughs) (laughs) but yeah when you're 15 and like literally anything they put in front of you will alter the the chemistry of your brain Orange County happened to be that thing. And I think that that following semester was when I decided to sign up for my first creative writing class in high school. Okay. And here I am today, everybody. (laughs) I am sorry. I am glad for it. I guess, yeah. So Orange County is responsible in kind of a long walk for this podcast and our friendship. Somewhat, yeah. So I can't hate it too much. But at the same time... Uh, let's talk about the movie and the soundtrack as it is. Yes. Um, yeah, we're just going to take you through the movie, the soundtrack. There are a, a lot of songs in the movie that aren't on the album itself. We'll briefly touch on a few of those because they're important. Yes, um, including uh, one OST party favorite makes their triumphant return. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so the wow. first song that we hear is Social Distortion's Story of My Life. As our main character, Sean, played by Colin Hanks, is telling us the story of his life. Because this is a very clever film. Let's go to a clip. Now, I know we've encountered this uh, genre of music before, but I had I, I think I had either forgotten or I had just never known the name 
of what social distortion does. It's called cowpunk. Yes. Um, the Blasters sometimes. Uh, X on some of their later albums. Mm-hmm. Um, it. I'm I'm into this one. Like it, this is a, this is like a, a punk rock sort of genre that I think I can I can get into in my advanced age. <laughs> Yeah, and this is a classic song. This is a a live version. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's a it's a spot on needle drop, almost like bordering on too on the nose or like slightly cliche because it does appear in 1994's Reality Bites, mm-hmm. and it was a little more current then. The song is from their 1990 album. Um, so it's almost it too, also- it's almost too cool for this movie. <laughs> Yes, and it's very MTV, and it's very Mike White. Uh, Mike White, of course, is the writer, um, and we recognize him from School of Rock. Absolutely. Yes. Um, he plays a teacher here, too. I think, I think it's probably safe to assume that School of Rock and Orange County exist in the same universe. That's, that's going to be my conspiracy theory. Please see my 18-part TikTok. His teacher character is so bad at his job here that he gets demoted and has to go work for a, a private sc- elementary school. I, I believe that. Yeah, see, it works. I believe um, that, yeah. Now, the song was also used in 2002's Life or Something Like It. Put a pin in that. Okay, we will. And one of the things I really love about this song is it's kind of an anti-slacker anthem. hmm Because... Mike Ness, who is awesome and I love, uh, basically sings about kind of wasting his life by being totally passive and just partying and, you know, waiting for rock and roll weekends and sort of dreaming his life away. There's a girl, but she doesn't know he exists. And by the end of the song, he's sort of looking back on the story of his life and, you know, playing his guitar and sort of wishing himself back there. Mm -hmm. And... That's not to say like, oh, he should have done better in school or taken up sports or a hobby. But he I think he regrets not being sort of passionate about something because his life has passed him by. And we love slacker culture when we're young and we're angry and we feel like the whole world is on our backs. But as we see with Lance, there's kind of nothing more pathetic than an adult slacker. Like, get it together, man. You don't have to sell out, but you have to handle your own shit. And I think that's the difference between watching this movie at 15 and watching this movie um, at 39. Yeah, anyway. absolutely. (laughs) But yeah, like it's it's such a it's such a pointed sort of lament at at the life you could have lived. And it's Mm -hmm. he's he's almost he's almost angry about it, but he's not quite angry. He's just disappointed in himself. Yeah. And kind of resigned and. You know, that's the story of my life. Yep. Yep. You got to live your life while you're alive, as it were. Um, a few years after this movie came out, uh, in 2005, specifically, Boost Superstar's Real Big Fish covered this on their album, We're Not Happy Till You're <sighs> Not Happy, which, as you know, is how I feel every time I hear Real Big Fish. <laughs> how did I know... We, I, I knew we weren't going to get out of this episode without mentioning it at some point, and there it is. Oh, yeah. There it is. <sighs> oh, good stuff. <laughs> but the opening of this movie is Sean is writing a letter to his favorite writer, Marcus Skinner. Uh, ex- I think the only writer he's ever read. He mentions, like, three writers here, and two of them are fucking 
writer boy cliches. William Faulkner, James Joyce. Like if he had thrown in a David Foster Wallace, I wouldn't have been surprised. Yeah. <sighs> but he's writing to his favorite his favorite writer about how much he wants to attend Stanford University so he could study with Marcus Skinner. And he's explaining the circumstances of his life and how everybody's crazy except him. And his best friend died in a surfing accident because he's an idiot. And then he decides, maybe there's a greater purpose for me. And he just decides to become a writer. Yeah, um, because of course. I know, I know this boy. You're talking to I, him right now. No. <laughs> no. This guy, Sean, there is one in every single creative writing class you have ever or will ever take. Again, just the sort of like well-off white teenage boy writing vaguely disguised stories about his life as if they're so deep he's what he's the bricks that creative writing programs are built from oh yeah i i know exactly who you're talking about fairy wayfish girls Mm -hmm. who sort of do the same thing but with poetry and fiction sometimes like this very like effervescent but sort of go nowhere fiction Mm mm-hmm and I've just, I, I I went through an undergrad program in creative writing and a graduate program. I could pick this boy out of a lineup. Oh, yeah. My writing class had one of those two, and his name was, in fact, Sean. So, yes, I know. I'm oh, well aware. Oh, God. That's a whole, oh, whole kettle of fish I don't even want to open tonight. <laughs> yes. And he would probably say something like, I found a book on a beach and it changed my life. But so he writes a story called Orange County. And he's trying to show it. His friends just want to, you know, get lit and jump off the roof of their houses. Um, And his brother, his junkie brother, uh, Lance, played by Jack Black. Welcome back to the podcast, Jack Black. uh, Throws up on his story. And I probably would, too, to be honest. Maybe. Yeah. Because you're going to find this out. The story that he wrote, it's basically just the movie. Yeah. And... I I'm one of those people that like can't see people vomit in movies like I it, I don't like it. That one the scene in The Righteous Gemstones outside the hospital, I had to like bury myself under <laughs> oh, a blanket. Oh man. I couldn't look. But this I'm like, no, that okay. I can deal with that. Mm-hmm. So, cuz I would throw up on that manuscript too. Probably, yeah. But like uh, the opening of this yeah. movie, it feels like every parody of a one-man show you've ever seen. Oh my God, yes, there it is. Because he's like introducing every character and you see a little vignette about that character and then he moves on to the next one. And he explains, man, there's just nobody like my brother and my family on my block in Orange County, California, the greatest town in the world. Like, get it? come on, dude. Are you going to tell us a story or not? Yeah, the Pete and Pete did this better. Yes, yes, absolutely. And they didn't do it in five minutes, you know? They didn't speed through it just to get to the plot. And it was awesome and had a good soundtrack, not dumb with a stupid soundtrack. Exactly. <laughs> but once we've introduced everybody and we've kind of set up the uh, the stakes. The stakes are that he wants to go to Stanford. And today is the day that he's supposed to find out if he's going to college or not. And once, once everything has been set up, we hit the opening credits and we get the next song on our soundtrack, which is Shadow Stabbing by Cake. Let's go to a clip. Adjectives on the typewriter He moves his words like a prize fighter The frenzied pace of the mind inside the cell The man on the street might just as well be The man on the 
we're obsessed with this one in our back. I am obsessed with this song. Not only does it absolutely slap, but it sums up this whole character even more strongly than story of my life. It's snarky, (laughs) like lyrically and musically. And it's got that sound that I'm realizing is cakes sound like that very staccato beat because we hear it yeah very measured and very precise yeah yes we hear it in italian leather sofa uh obviously Mm -hmm. uh short skirt and a long jacket and it's also incredibly smug right down to the fucking typewriter he's describing a writer yeah and yeah i know i know a lot of writers who spend all this time sort of sitting in judgment of the outside world and writing about the outside world, but they actually don't live in the outside world. Mm -hmm. They never leave their house and they don't see that people and cities and institutions and societies are complex and multifaceted and varied and hurtful and occasionally wonderful. And they really, all they've got are plastic saints. <laughs> I love that. I like this song. Just nails it. It reminds me of um, that scene in in Barton Fink, where he gets hired. John, John Turturro gets hired to write a wrestling picture, but he has to be shown a like a film of what wrestling is, mm-hmm. because he that's just not his his universe at all. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Like you just you're you're. Your experience is so not what you're trying to write, and it, <laughs> that's on you, bud. Yeah, but not you know? even, you know, experiencing people in all of their dimensions for their good and their bad and not casting Oh yeah, yeah. the, the shadows on them mm-hmm. and sort of letting them be who they are. And that's something that Sean really struggles with when he tells his family, like, you have to basically be someone you're not so that I can go be the person I think I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And, and Cake has no fucking patience for that shit. <laughs> they just tear up a new asshole in this. I'm starting to really like Cake. And, and my husband Ian is uh, a big fan. I'm starting to see why. Yeah, they were always a band. Like, I, I, I've heard a couple of their songs in the radio. And I'm like, all right, that's fun. That's catchy. But I never really went deeper. But... The couple that we found for this show, I've really enjoyed, and maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe we should be into cake more than we are. Yeah, I, I think it's time. I but, think so too. I, I want to kiss this song on the mouth. <laughs> Every cake song I've ever heard has that very sort of like laid back sarcasm to it, where you can't tell if they're making fun of the idea of pop music or not, but they're just so mm-hmm. good at it. You kind of yeah, they're, these are for people who are way smarter. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, th- this is what Weezer thinks they are. If only. Yes. You know, but like we Weezer wishes they could pull off an ironic cover of I Will Survive. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Rivers, Rivers <laughs> has built his entire career trying to do that. It's not going to happen. Everyone is Rivers Cuomo. Ugh, that's true. It's like actually true. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised Weezer isn't on this soundtrack. This would have been, this would have been like right after the Green album when I think everybody was like, "All right, they're back. Who cares? What's next?" Like I don't think people had the time for Weezer in 2002. No, but um, I feel like 
they, they've got a song about surfing. Yeah, but that's an old song about surfing. It's it's younger than uh, Story of My Life. Well, that's fair. I'm trying to think like an MTV executive, you know? Oh, yeah, because they did such a good job with this. <laughs> the kids want to hear cake. They don't want to hear, what is it, Weezer? Who cares? <laughs> the kids want to hear lit. <laughs> We're going to push lit this year, everybody. <laughs> it's 2002. Anyway. Ugh. So then we meet mom. And mom is a fucking mess. But mom is Catherine O'Hara, so. So she gets a pass. Yeah, exactly. But she is a wonderful mess. Um, the whole family situation is very, uh, very distraught to me. Yes. But also, I mean, it's not that unusual, I guess. Yeah. I mean, she the mom married uh, an older man who is in a wheelchair. She doesn't pay attention to him. Uh, He's basically a shell of a man. Uh, Older brother Lance, as we said, just does drugs and lays around in his underwear all day. And the mom is an alcoholic and yells at the maid. Pretty much. It's, It's basically arrested development. Yeah, so uh, that, that coat costs more than Lupe's house. <laughs> How much could it cost? I'm just, I'm just kidding. She doesn't have a house. Ooh, that's what, like my favorite Arrested Development quote. That's just how we joke. She doesn't even have a house. <laughs> this really could have been like an episode of Arrested Development. It really, yes. There we go. You know, uh, but Sean and his friends they make their way to school. And we're greeted by the next song on our soundtrack, which is The Offspring with the song Defy You. Yes, one of the two singles from the album. Yeah, let's go to a clip. But you cannot win. You may throw me down, but I'll rise again. The more you say, the more I defy you to get out of my I don't know offspring yeah and here they're moving they're sort of leaning away from their crunchy punk roots and that again that really sunny california mm-hmm. punk sound that was their calling card and even with some of their sillier sort of like fuck you who cares life is bullshit you know no sense in being serious songs like pretty fly for a white guy mm-hmm. and obviously they've covered heavy topics like teenage violence in come on and play and so they're not I mean, these guys aren't pennywise but they're taking on a much heavier sound here it's still got a little bit of that vocal symphonic touch on the bridge but it you wouldn't listen to this and be like that's the offspring yeah, if, if if it wasn't Dexter Holland singing, you'd really never know that it was The Offspring. Yeah. Um, this is The Offspring for think... like in, in trying to go like new metal, and I'm very uncomfortable with that because this yes. is not a sound that suits them. No, and one of the things that I find kind of fascinating about this soundtrack and where it lands, again, we're just a couple months past 9-11, um, but sonically... As a, as a country, we're moving out of what was known as college rock. 
it was aimed for slightly older listeners. Mm-hmm. You know, people, Gen Xers in their early 20s uh, who came of age during grunge. And we're moving into a sound that I think can best be described as suburban teenage dirtbag rock. Yep. Oh, yeah. And it's for, uh, I guess, the crib from Billy Joel, um, angry young men who really have nothing to be angry about. I mean, we're all angry because we're about to go into a needless and costly war. But... There is just this sense, and you see this in the movie, with just how disaffected and frustrated Sean is, but sort of for what? Like, oh, the people are vapid and dumb. Like, And we all felt that. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason I look upon this movie with a lot of cringe is because I'm like, oh, shit, that's me. Oh, boy. <laughs> I knew people um, like this, or that was me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I like you have to really look inside yourself and be like, yeah, I was I was a teenager during the early aughts and I feel that. So, um, yeah, when this movie takes place, he would have been about my age. So this was filmed in 2001. I had, you know. Yeah, was just turning 18. So, yeah, but yeah, it's it's a shift. It's a shift towards uh, almost like crasser more commercial audience Mm -hmm. teenage boys with money to spare and to buy cds and you're sort of selling them this anger and coolness and it's such a missed opportunity because like they're so close to getting like the point of like what the album's trying to do because like yeah offspring is a band from uh you know southern california they're i mean they're from uh garden grove which is in orange county like this is what they're trying to do here and then they pick a song or they get Offspring to record a song that is just not at all what the, you know the Offspring sound is. Like Pretty Fly for a White Guy was just, just a couple of years ago. That's like was their big MTV hit. And now they're delivering this very kind of it's it's more like puddle of mud than it is Offspring. And it's just not appealing. That's depressing. I do not like that thought because I do. When you think about the punk scene of the early 90s and like the pop punk scene Mm -hmm. you're either team green day or team offspring those are kind of the the big rivals and i prefer the offspring because they're i sort of like their juvenileness Mm -hmm. and i really like that sound a lot i love come on and play oh yeah like that's my favorite of their songs so this i was kind of excited i'm like oh good an offspring song that i don't know and i was like oh and it's this. Oh, it's 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 after after That's two fun. offspring after two thousand and one. No, no, thank you. Yikes! And I know I've mentioned oh. this before on the show. Like their their most recent album is actually pretty good. Yeah, they're very very talented. Uh, do they go back to that original sound? Yeah, they do. Good. I mean, they're 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 the big single. I know I've mentioned it before. It's called "Let the Bad Times Roll," and it's all about yes. just like how much how much COVID sucks, how much you know, uh, mega chuds suck, how much everything sucks right now, and it's just couched yeah. in this very like bright, upbeat kind of offspring song. That's like, th- cool. They knew how to do it. As we learned with Danny Elfman trying to sing topically, uh, it doesn't always work. <laughs> no. Yes. Thank uh, you. If you caught. 
uh, either of Danny Elfman's performances at Coachella, you'll notice he closes with Who Do You Want to Be from Teen Wolf 2. Yep. <laughs> that was a surprise. Yeah, that's a that's a deep cut. That's a deep Boingo Boingo cut. So a, even though it was on that album, I don't think it's one that people think about. That was a, not like a greatest hit. Boingo Boingo. That was a performance for literally just you. Yeah, I think so. I'd like to thank <laughs> us. Well, you had to tell me about it, so that's fair. Oh boy, but yeah, like I, I appreciate that Offspring is here, but the song they chose to to contribute to this album is, just doesn't cut it. No, it's. And especially the the last song in the album, which we'll we'll talk to when we get to it. I'm really surprised that wasn't the single, but to go with Def- with Defy You and then uh, our next single isn't. It's not a terrible decision, but it's, it, you, I don't think it was the best one. You you can definitely tell it was a bean counter decision. Like yeah, offspring is big. There's nothing organic Foo- about this. Foo Fighters are big. Make those the singles. Let's do it. Like mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. Nothing organic about it. Just it's a money thing. Which yeah, I got. But uh, yeah, so they're at high school. We get Principal Chevy Chase because I guess he needed a paycheck that week. Mm-hmm. And uh, we meet Ashley, mm-hmm. who is Sean's girlfriend. She wants to go clean up lesbian seagulls who have been impacted by an oil spill. And she is, I could, I could picture her spread in like Cosmo Girl. Like she is what we were all supposed to look like, fresh faced, um, but with you know some kind of funky makeup. It's the whole package. Like she was just the two thousand two girl, like bleeding heart hippie, but not too bleeding heart, but not smelly, not smelly. Like she yeah. definitely shaves her armpits, um, and this she sort of morphs into like what would become the manic pixie dream girl because she doesn't have a life outside of Sean she really just exists to help him on his journey but to the movie's credit she's also not entirely like a dummy no and I think um that was something that other when we get into the manic pixie dream girl in a few years erased right I mean once the garden state hit it was like all bets are off mm-hmm. so um he wants to suggest Tony Morrison as the graduation speaker because of fucking course he does. <laughs> fucking course. Because she's in town this week and I'm super deep and I once walked past a copy of Beloved. So deep. <laughs> He's so deep. Um, but uh, Principal Chevy Chase wants Britney Spears because one of the classmates, her cousin, is Britney Spears' best friend because like Everyone is like shallow, like society. Do you get it? Yeah, or something. It's like, ugh. And you get that that awful like sting from uh, "Baby One More Time," and I, man, even in two thousand and two, I remember that felt really dated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. So we also get uh, Mike White. As the teacher, he's the Shakespeare teacher. With He's got big youth pastor energy. Now, when I say Romeo and Juliet, who comes to mind? Claire Danes. That's right, Claire Danes. Who else? Leonardo DiCaprio. Right? Well, you know, someone else was involved in that movie who in some ways is as famous as Leonardo DiCaprio. 
and his name's William Shakespeare. I, but I do like that he suggests that Waterworld is based on a Shakespeare play. I have always tried to figure out what play he's talking about when he says Waterworld. <laughs> maybe The Tempest? Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's a good call. And everybody shakes their head like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, Waterworld. Oh, yeah, Waterworld, yeah, yeah. But we find out that Tanya got into Stanford, which disappoints Sean because she's dumb and a girl. She's a dumb cheerleader. How the fuck? Yeah. How could she get into Stanford? Her cousin is best friends with Britney Spears. And this is where like the movie's misogyny starts to settle in. Yeah, it's it gets uncomfortable for a for a hot minute. And it's it's weird because like I look back on that sort of indie boy misogyny that ran through the core of the early aughts. And I I can't believe I survived any of that. <laughs> and I know that I internalized so much of it. But that, like, it's hard to fight that because they're just such nice, gentle guys. And, yeah, she is vapid. Like, oh, I can't believe, like, I, I want to feel for him. But we're only shown that he's mad because... She's vapid. We don't have really anything else to put her against. Yeah. Because all the women in here are either his drunk mom, his selfless manic pixie dream girl, or a vapid cheerleader. Or every other dumb girl in the world. Yeah. And so that that really was. I mean, if you go and listen to a lot of the music at the time, especially coming out of like the pop punk and emo scenes, there really was this not like other girls vibe it's like all women are dumb yeah except for you babe you're the coolest and he's singing about me yeah like i'm I'm not like other girls and i'm glad that ashley doesn't have a pick me girl vibe but it's hard to look back on this kind of movie and other movies like it because this ran through everything Mm -hmm. yeah and not feel really uncomfortable but this is just like what women dealt with. Like men talk to us like this. And I probably talked about other women like this. It's kind of, it, it is, it's uncomfortable. I think it's the best way. It's, yeah, it. it's, an, it's definitely an uncomfortable vibe. Um, but then Sean gets word that the mail has arrived and his admission papers have also shown up. So he races home to check the mail. Sean opens his letter in front of a very weird portrait of Billy Corgan. On the wall. <laughs> I don't think it's Billy Corgan, but it really looks like him. It does. <laughs> it's disturbing. It haunts my dreams. I've thought about this for 20 years. <laughs> but Sean opens his letter and discovers that he has not, he has been rejected from Stanford. Oh, no. Oh, no. And there must be some mistake. So he goes to confront his school counselor to the tune of the next song on our soundtrack, which is Glad That It's Over by 12 Rods. Let's go to a clip. Today has sucked Now, I'm pretty sure this is only here because of the opening line of the song, which is, to, which is today has sucked. Yeah. And it's a fun little cue. I, re- I, recall, th- I recall hearing people laugh in the theater at this one, um, but eh, it's okay. Yeah, this is one of those that I probably would have loved with all of my post-grunch heart 
at the time. But listening to it as an adult, because this is the first and only time I've seen this movie or listened to the soundtrack right. uh, for recording this. I, I can't help it. Like, I'm getting big, like, get off my lawn with all that distortion, you kids. <laughs> like, feelings from it. And I don't like that. But I know that this would have, this song would have resonated with me at mm-hmm. 20. Yeah. And I heard this. Um, and I think also listening to this for, you know, making my final notes today, I think we all feel this right now like everything just sucks and it's been a long day and i think we should all just go to bed yeah waking up in the morning you feel it coming home from work you feel it going to bed you still feel it yeah and you go to sleep and the last thing you can think of is glad that's over yep exactly which is how you end up with the story of my life Mm -hmm. but here we are we're only human yes it's true I, I think this is just a little too sludgy for my personal taste. It's, yeah, it's kind of a one-note tune. Yes. Um, it's definitely one of the... I don't want to say filler tracks, because as you said, it does have a specific place in the movie. Right. But it it does kind of seem like soundtrack filler, especially when you think of some of the songs that got cut from the soundtrack. Absolutely, yeah. So... <sighs> But uh, Sean goes back to school to confront his guidance counselor about this, played by Lily Tomlin, of all mm-hmm. pe- of all people. It's a real who's who of like comedy legends in this movie. Yes. And the only way I can imagine it got all these people is because a it's an MTV film, b Tom Hanks's kid is in the movie, c uh, Lawrence Kasdan's kid is directing it. So it's a lot of like Hollywood nepotism going on here. Oh, so much. Oh yeah, nepotism. Uh, but turns out Lily Tomlin is just as dumb as the English teacher because she submitted the wrong kid's transcript. Yeah, of course she is. She's a woman. <sighs> yeah, she doesn't know how to use a computer. It's a it's a 2002 iMac. Those things are impossible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he freaks out at her. She kicks him in the nuts and she runs. He deserved that. He deserved it. He definitely deserved it. And then, <laughs> I'm sorry. I hate. He did. I hate that. I hate the next thing that has to happen. Um, I, you know what? No, there's there is a loophole. There is an escape clause that I'm going to uh to execute right now. The next song on this tr- on this uh, soundtrack is by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's okay. There's <laughs> a song okay. called Pretty Little Ditty. I'm going to play it right here. I know we want to, but we have to talk about it. You're the one that brought this up. No, I know. I know we have to, but I don't want to subject our listeners to the actual song. Oh, you've come this far with us, babies. Do I have to? You have to. All right. Here's the fake version of the real song. This is Butterfly by Crazy Town. Come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. You're my butterfly. Sugar, baby. Come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. You're my butterfly. I honestly get Crazy Town and Buck Cherry mixed up. <laughs> because I just know that it's noise for people who have spent a night in the drunk tank. All I can say to that is Buck Cherry is not a rap band. No, <laughs> but 
I mean, neither are these guys. I mean, I guess they're trying. I mean, have you seen them? <laughs> they're not good. Um, I had blocked this song out, and you brought it back, and I hate you, and I hope your Jenkos tear. <laughs> this is my mutant power. I bring back shitty songs from the early aughts just yes, for you. and rap rock is truly the worst thing that ever happened to society. Look. It's just, there's, there's no reason for it. Look. It's bad. I love Faith No More to death. I hate everything that has happened in their wake. Okay. Yes. Okay. We'll give Faith No More a pass, but they they opened they, they opened something they can't put back. That's just very true. It's this is just yes. a, a nightmare on so many levels. And this is like the girls' song, and they dance to it, um, because no. they're cheerleaders and they're dumb. And there's a line in here like, "Me and you like Sid and Nancy Bruz. He murdered her, and then he died of a heroin overdose." <laughs> Well, I Did mean, you not know that? At, at least he knows his, he's got his priorities straight, I guess. I guess. Yeesh. I guarantee you that the members of Crazy Town have never given a woman an orgasm, but they probably have given several a venereal disease. Ew. This is a bad song. This is like your county fair if it was a song. Is it just like sweaty and gross, covered in prison ink? It's, and there's tank tops and ev- nothing's good about this. It's it's all henna tattoos and frosted tips and oh my god, I'm ready to move on. But no, I think the movie clearly hates this song too because it uses it twice and in the exact same way and in a way that says like this is the song is terrible. Yeah, but it's also like it's weirdly it uses it to such a judgmental point. It, yeah, that's the, that. That's like the other now I'm mad it. at the movie too. Right, I. I I'm conflicted. There are on no that. winners. I think is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. There are no winners when Butterfly by Crazy Town is playing. No, I mean the only winners are the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who I'm sure get paid every time it plays on the radio. Play it more. Get those guys paid. Yeah. <laughs> so then Sean and his his girlfriend go to confront his dad, John Lithgow, to see if he can help get into Stanford. Welcome back. He's probably too busy making sure that no one at Stanford is allowed to do that devil's dancing. That's true. I mean, he's introduced in the film, like yelling into a phone saying, like, if you go through with this, I will eat your face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and we also briefly meet Sean's stepmother, who, spoiler alert, is vapid and shallow and vain and not raising her kid and is much younger than his dad, a gold digger. You know, women. (laughs) You know, those women, right? Those young women. Give me a break. Right. But also, it's it's Leslie Mann who can play that character in her sleep. She's so good. She's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, dad is no help. Dad's really no help. But he does say all writers are poor, which is, like, not far off. Except for then you have these writers who their spouses are rich. Mm-hmm. And they just don't mention that. And that drives me crazy. <laughs> like, oh, I work so hard. Like, your husband owns real estate in France. Oh, God. What are you talking about, like, how tough it is for you? Honestly, it's because he's a rich white boy that he wants to be a writer. Yeah, because he's a, because he can afford to be. Yes, exactly. But moving along, so Gary Marshall shows up to interview Sean at his house, and Sean is, like, trying so hard to get his family to just be nice for one fucking minute. <laughs> yeah, and to, to basically be who they're not. Yeah. I mean, like, they're messy. Play, play characters, like, mom, please just pretend to be normal. 
uh, Lance, go hide in your bedroom. And when Sean bursts into Lance's room, Lance is like vacuuming up pills from the floor of his bedroom. And then the next song on our soundtrack plays, which is Stick 'em Up by Quarashi, a phrase no one has said in 20 years. And again, all I can say about Quarashi is I just like saying their name. Oh, yeah. It's a fun name to <laughs> it's say. It's a fun name, Quarashi. But uh, this, is, this is the new metal equivalent of what else you got? Because <laughs> it's... Yeah. This is like the I, also ran stuff. I didn't hate this song as much as I should. Um, it's probably bad. Maybe it's great. And there's such a divide, such a wide, gaping hole between like Faith No More and the Beastie Boys and Limp Biscuit, and I don't know where this falls <sighs> because this really just seems like music that was made for like a medium level in Tony Hawk Pro Skater. That is PlayStation like, One. That's shockingly on point. Yeah, like it doesn't seem like a real song that like you would listen to on the radio. It just sounds like Grand Theft Auto music. And like I feel bad because they're Korashi's from Iceland mm-hmm. and they gave us Bjork and we gave them Fred Durst. Yeah, so that transaction did not go well for them. No, and on behalf of America, I apologize. I think the song's greatest sin is that and I'm going to go ahead and say it. I don't hate it. It's just kind of faceless and boring, but it's kind of fun, and new metal is not supposed yeah. to be fun. Yeah. And I think that's uh, why they're not a bigger, they were never a bigger deal. Because, mm-hmm. like, that's not what new metal sounds like. I can't break stuff to this. Oh, man. Now, I think it's funny that the video for this song lost to Coldplay's Yellow at the uh, i think at the either the grammys or the mtv movie awards <laughs> well the video for this song is basically a three-minute version of the movie snatch yeah which is fine which and, is... but it makes me wish i was watching snatch instead of orange county yeah well too true but i also think that kind of summarizes where we were headed as we talked about like uh, again the sonic landscape oh yeah we're we're two years out from garden state and this gentle boy indie rock boom is starting to gain traction. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that this song is kind of buried on the soundtrack and we're about to head into some softer boy stuff uh, as we head out deeper in, I think we're starting to lose sight of, uh, not anger, because we were really angry in these years, obviously, but maybe we're looking for something to calm us a little bit and we're not driven by the testosterone-laced meatheads? Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think part of that is, I mean, indie rock is a big part of it, but also, like, the garage rock boom is happening at this time, too. So mm-hmm. you get you get bands like the White Stripes and the Strokes and the Hives, and, like, oh, right, rock music can also just be, you know, weirdos banging out three chords, and they don't have to be angry about it. Yeah, and so I think there just wasn't a place for this in the sort of the listener's mind like yeah it's a fine it's a fine piece of background music on this but this isn't going to be like a a song you really 
Remember, it's also used in a bunch of other stuff. It was very popular for trailers. I know it was used on Too Fast, Too Furious. You know, yeah, I do kind of recall that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At this point in the movie, it occurred to me, like, this movie is ridiculous because any college recruiter in the world could see that this perfectly, like, decent, normal, kind of straight-laced kid is trapped with this horrifying family and must be rescued at all costs, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I was Gary Marshall, I would be like, son, come with me. You're leaving today. But that's not yeah, the world but... this movie exists in. <laughs> no, because the movie exists in, the, in a world where Sean is the only sane person. Right. And everyone else is just against him or at best apathetic. And I mean, it's like the first hint that where where Sean's going to wind up is, you know, if I don't stick around for these people, what the hell's going to happen to them? Mhm. Which is a tragic place to be. I don't know. When when the mom says, you know, like I can't be expected to drop what I'm doing to cater to you, there's I think as an adult I see some truth to that. Mm-hmm. Like he just wants them to be other people. And do they need help? Yes. But he doesn't want to get them help for them. He wants to make himself look good. And I honestly hope he falls off a cliff and into a shark's mouth. <laughs> but also he, he sees right through that because his response to that is, what were you doing? And, you know, the oh. movie doesn't show us what she was doing. As, as far as the movie's concerned, she wasn't doing anything. But... Yeah, but she's allowed to have her own space. Oh, yeah, she's allowed Leave to have Catherine her own. Catherine O'Hara alone. Yeah, she's allowed to have her own internal life, but the movie does not care about that. Yes. And she talks about how, you know, money can't buy happiness. It's like, yeah, but it can't pay tuition at Stanford. All I'm saying. Yeah, that's true. And where are you going to get it? Also, um, the wife, I guess uh, Tanya's grandmother, is played by Mrs. Cousin It. Yeah, that's right. There's also a scene where she drinks pee. And you see the pee cup on the table because Lance needs it so that he can pass a drug test and you know you know what's gonna happen and you're like i hate this movie it's like oh right the jackass movie came out the same year that tracks yeah like <sighs> chekhov's p um <laughs> that, that his that, friends crashed chekhov's p went off way too soon <laughs> yes um so this goes poorly and sean decides he's gonna kill himself in the pool don't let me stop you as he jumps into the pool, we get the next song on our soundtrack, which is uh, Brian Wilson's Lay Down Burden. So many years been running away. How many times I wished I could stay. Too much emotion, I hold in my heart. Feeling alone since we've been apart. That's heavy handed. It's a little much. I don't have any notes on this one, personally. Um, again, because he's a beach boy, uh, I think it's kind of a thoughtful pick. Um, it's not a bad cue. Yeah, and, and especially given, the, God, the, everything that Brian Wilson has been through. The poor man. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I say it's a little heavy-handed. But it's also, I don't know, it's, they could have picked something a lot worse. They could have picked Third Eye Bly's Jumper or something terrible, but they went with a song that's genuine and thoughtful and honestly better than this deserves. Because as you, as you see, Jake Kasdan is what we call a filmmaker. Yes. <laughs> um, absolutely. Brian Wilson 
actually said the song came from playing What the World Needs Now by Burt Bacharach and Hal David on his piano, and it sort of morphed into this melody. So hailing back briefly to our Austin Powers episode. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. So I wish I liked the Beach Boys more than I do, but yeah. I know a few things. I know a few songs. I know a few things. Pet sounds is fine. Um, and at this point, Lance makes the suggestion that Sean just goes up to Stanford and says, I'm going here anyway. You can kiss my ass, which is very much a George Costanza solution to this problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, boys will drive to Stanford with Jack Black before going to therapy. <laughs> I mean, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, at this point, you know, the road the road trip is on. They're going to Stanford. And we get the next song on our soundtrack. This is a big one. This is The One by Foo Fighters. Yes. Let's hit it. Everyone makes one mistake. One more time for all time's sake. One more time before the field fades. One that's born of memories. One more bruise you gave to me. Now, given Jack Black's association with the Foo Fighters, this is, again, perfect placement. It kind of works. For the soundtrack, I'm not sure that it works. No, it's hard not to love the Foo Fighters. They're sort of America's U2. Like, I've never met anyone who doesn't like the Foo Fighters. Like, everybody likes a Foo Fighters song. Like, they're, they're big and they're... They're great. Um, I don't know anybody who says the Foo Fighters are their favorite band. When I was 15, that might have been the case. Yeah. Today, and as I said, it's a little I, different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're easy to listen to. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. You know, you they've got great hooks. Their lyrics are wonderful. And they're very thoughtful musicians. And they, they're definitely some of the smartest songwriters working and and they always come across as as the kinds of guys who just love what they do like you can watch a Foo Fighters concert and see they're just having a blast yeah they're having fun and they're having a good time and they can convey that in their music on stage very well yes and they bring a lot of energy to this late 90s early aughts rock landscape uh especially with everything that's sort of shaking around it with new metal and garage rock and soft indie boy rock, they managed to maintain a fairly consistent sound without ever sounding dated the way that you listen to the hives and you're like, well, that's 2000. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so um, they, they almost, in a weird way, like bridge a gap between like dad rock and like what the kids are listening to i mean everybody likes foo fighters yeah like there's there's a reason people often refer to them as like the last rock band because honestly they kind of are if you in a certain sense Mm -hmm. but also i mean dave grohl is i guess he's one of those gen x icons like everybody kind of loves even if they don't really like him that much just just because of his associations with nirvana and like the shit that he's gone through and like man Having had had you know this that tragedy happen to him twice now is really heartbreaking, and mm-hmm. I think everyone right now is feeling the love for Foo Fighters, and like we yeah. probably don't appreciate them as much as we should right now. Yeah, no, we're wrapping wrapping them in our love now. With this song, 
I like it musically. I think lyrically, it falls a little into that angry young man stock that is really making up this whole era. Kind of, yeah. yeah. This one doesn't land for me. Now, as we talked about before, though, there, there's such a reliable source, though, of soundtrack jams. Oh, yeah. This is the third time they've appeared on OST Party. Uh, we've got A320 from Godzilla mm-hmm. and uh, Breakout from Me, Myself, and Irene, which is the one I've been thinking about a lot lately. I don't remember if I liked it all that much when we first played it, but now I'm like, that song bangs hard. <laughs> Dear Lover appears in Scream 2, and of course we have My Hero from Varsity Blues, which is an excretable song. Oh. From an uh, excretable movie. It's, it's not that bad. No, I hate that song. Um, it's also in Not Another Teen Movie and anytime they parody Varsity Blues because it's like it's kind of a, an iconic stinger. Uh, their best song tra- soundtrack song remains Walking After You from the X-Files. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite. That's honestly my second favorite Foo Fighters song. My first favorite Foo Fighters song is Learn to Fly, yes. which Jack Black is in the video for. Solid pick, yeah. And it appears in the film Life or something like it. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> no. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't believe that. <laughs> now, um, do you know about this single? Like, as a single? Because it was one of the singles for the film. No, not really. So this single is actually one of the rarest Foo Fighters collector's items. Okay. Because in Europe... Only one copy of each of the following formats was made and given away. A three-inch CD, a CD, mini-disc, cassette, 12-inch vinyl, and seven-inch vinyl. They were given away as prizes. Only one of each exists. Oh, my God. I looked on Discogs. I found like the listing for, uh, for the seven-inch, and it is not for sale. There's probably no price you could put on that. I wonder who owns that right now. Someone out there has a mini disc, a cassette, a 12 inch vinyl, or a three inch CD. Somebody has that in their like Dave Grohl shrine vault. Mm-hmm. And it, it was it was released as a CD single, mm-hmm. but there are a handful of copies out there. That seven inches out there, baby. <laughs> Do you have a lead on where to find this? Please send it to us at ostpartypod at gmail.com. Also, give us some money. Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, there's there's one more uh, soundtrack single of theirs that I know of. I don't know if you have it on your list or not. Which one? It's called Have a Cigar. It's, no. it's from the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack, and they teamed up with Brian May from Queen to perform that. Nice. One. That, one's, okay. that one's pretty good. Not my yeah, favorite, I mean, that's good. that's... Not even an exhaustive list. Uh, their music was used in so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially right around now, you could really just kind of go to them and, and get a good song. But hopefully the Foo Fighters will be back sooner rather than later because uh, it it would be a shame to pack it in God now. God bless you, Dave Grohl. But uh, Taylor Hawkins, we miss you. We do indeed. Now. Damn. Um, but we we roll up to Stanford, and I've got a question because this, this seems like a thing on this campus. It's ten thirty at night. What is the dean's assistant doing there? I have no clue. <laughs> no, she needs a raise, but she gets Lance instead. 
I mean, she got some kind of a raise. Yeah. So he has, again, one of my favorite lines in the movie. Listen, uh, do you want me to call public safety? Do you want me to get naked and start the revolution? <laughs> Lance is the character that I should not love, but I really do. Jack Black really steals the show. God bless him. Yes. Yeah, so meanwhile, uh, Sean and Ashley go to see the Dean and she accidentally gives the Dean a bunch of ecstasy that she thought was Excedrin. And the Dean is not, it's not just anybody. It's Harold Ramos. Oh, that's right. Yes. I knew. I recognized So him. we get a, an extended couple of scenes where Harold Ramos has to act like he's on drugs. And it's honestly kind of embarrassing. You are my same height. That is neat. <laughs> that is neat. <laughs> but yeah, so in the meantime, Lance and the dean's assistant uh, decide to burn the building down. Yes, which I love. I love that it's not an accident. She's like, yeah, I'm a pyro. And she's like, me too. <laughs> I love their chaos energy. And they're, they're specifically burning the, the admissions list, which is the very thing that Sean needs. And it just goes up in flames along with the entire building. <laughs> like you do. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Sean and Ashley have a falling out. She goes her way. He goes his way. Uh, while he's being Mr. Sad and Mopey, he, we get to the next song on our soundtrack, which is Lose You by Pete Yorn. Get it? Because he thinks he might have lost Ashley. Well, and he also sees a girl. She's reading Faulkner on a bench. And she, this girl, has got it all. She's got cargo pants. She's got short, a short orange jacket. She has a messenger bag. It's like the Delia's lookbook. 2002 called it once that's everything back. Oh, yeah. It's all there. But she, like, doesn't get Faulkner because she's, you know, not deep the way he is. Because guess what, Sean? She's just doing her fucking homework. Yeah. Leave her alone. And he's disapp- <laughs> yes. Uh, but, yeah, let's, let's talk about Pete Yorn. <laughs> well, sure. Why not? Let's go to a clip. And here's that gentle boy indie rock that, you know, we've been sort of talking around. Um, It's used perfectly here Mm -hmm. in that it's the official music of beautiful boys who are also deeply, deeply insufferable. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's just like it's accidentally perfect. Uh, they didn't know it at the time, but they're telling us everything we need to know about this, this dum-dum <laughs> that we are following through this film. Because it's a, like in 2002, I probably would have really liked this song. I'm like, yeah, it's really deep. And he's so deep. And now just like y'all are terrible. And especially, like, at the end, you can hear a girl say, you're so funny. You use big words. <laughs> it's like, Cause girls are stupid. Pete Yorn definitely is, is the guy who would play his, his acoustic, acoustic guitar on the quad to get chicks, right? Yeah, I, I hate it. I hate this. Honestly, I want to see Sean and Andrew from Garden State slap fight. <laughs> Whoever wins, we all lose. I just want to see them go at it. Like two skinny kaiju mm-hmm. just slap fighting in the quad while Pete Yorn plays. And Berkeley is just burning in the background. 
Yeah. Stanford. I Wherever. It's all the same, right? Yeah. Have you ever been to Stanford? No. <laughs> I taught at a camp there. That campus is enormous. Oh, really? It is enormous. It's lovely. All I remember is that they have a Jamba Juice. <sighs> oh, yeah. they got. I taught, a, I taught a teen camp there. Palo Alto is a shithole. Oh, I hate it. I hated every minute of it because again, it just it just dripped with sad money. <laughs> Ugh, that's the worst kind of money there is. Yeah, um, and I, as I was, you know, doing research for this, I was starting to see a lot of crossover with. Some of like some of these artists appearing on TV soundtracks as well, and we were in the like peak of that. Oh, we'll get to a big one here at the end. Don't worry. Yeah, but like Pete Yorn was on um, the episode, or his song uh, "Simple Explanation" was played on the episode of House where uh, Cal Penn's character kills himself oh, because geez. Cal Penn got a job in the Obama administration. That's right. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, I'm. Um, and, yeah. Do you have thoughts on Pete? And then Pete, yeah, Pete Yorn, of course, is our is uh, our best friend who covered uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds for the Hellboy soundtrack. I feel like we've talked about that at some point, possibly because I, I distinctly recall you making fun of me for saying I even liked it. That seems like something I'd do. That sounds like you. Um, yeah, I don't <laughs> have many thoughts about Pete Yorn because this is definitely the kind of music I was not into in 2002 and mm-hmm. now that I'm 20 years older and supposedly more mellow I'm still not into it it's just yeah I was probably into boys who were into Pete Yorn like I'm not dead yet so I don't feel this tired <laughs> mm-hmm. I just uh, no I I, yeah. I don't need this I don't need this kind of sadness in my life I guess I don't know it's like being smothered by like a pillow made of a giant gummy. Yeah, that sounds about right. Like, I just mm. don't... I don't know. I've never done drugs, and I don't think I want to. Because if, if it makes me feel like this, then yeah, just kill me. Yeah. No, this isn't great. I do not love this. Um, no. Yeah. How- but it's, again, it's accidentally perfect. Yeah. So let, we have, we get the last like three or four songs we're gonna just boom boom boom, we're knock them out real quick. Um, so this girl that Sean meets reading Faulkner, she takes him to a frat party where they are playing the next song on the soundtrack, which is "First Time" by Bad Ronald. Mm. Not my favorite by any stretch. Do we want to play a clip? Yeah. All right. No idea how I'm living today. Line by line, show by show. I got these ladies toe to toe. A couple of drinks and I'm ready to go. Ask me again and I'll still say no. We really just let boys act like this, didn't we? Yeah, like y'all play too much. Yeah, they, they really, they wrote a song. They wrote this song, and they played it on the radio, and we thought this was acceptable. Um, this... I do like the phrase lubricated hat. <laughs> yeah. I, that I, cracked me up. I'm not going to lie. Um, I... This is, pl- like, pleasant and summary for late 90s trash rap. Like, I can't be mad at it. I want to be, but I can't be. Yeah. But then you listen like... to the lyrics, and you go, oh, are we really doing this? Yeah, it's kind of like if Sugar Ray tried to write a Bloodhound Gang song. 
I can hear that in my head. That's perfect. Yeah. It's like juvenile, but not quite as vulgar as like two live crews going to write it. Like it feels like it should have been on the Jan Silent Bob Strike Back soundtrack. And yeah, it, it just wasn't. There it is. It's it's such a Kevin Smith kind of song. It is. And I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this for it. But don't I... worry, because that gets interrupted. Yes, because apparently the DJ decides it's time for a dance party. And what song do we have to listen to at a dance party? Why, it's Butterfly by Crazy Town. Oh, my God. This is our song. This is our we're song. Dumb. And at we're this moment, girls. Sean realizes a very important lesson that, oh, yeah, people suck everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> there are the so same vapid, gross people everywhere in the world. You're not going to yes, get away from people- them. All have money the same way I do. Like, spoiler alert, Sean, you're also vapid and gross. Mm-hmm. So, I'm. Um, what it, what it boils oh. down to is there are normal people everywhere. You will never escape them. Just learn yeah. to live with that. It's okay. Yes. And don't go to frat parties because there, nothing good ever happens at them. No. The best case scenario, someone plays Butterfly by Crazy Town. <laughs> If that's the worst thing that happens to you tonight, consider yourself lucky. Yeah. Um, but we also, so Ashley, let me take that again. Ashley also meets a real dumb guy. Yeah, so. this is this is another comedian. It's Nat Faxon, who's a comparative lit major. Uh, and he starts going off on his personal obsession, which is what again? <laughs> I say I have an idea for a TV show. It's about vampires, ostensibly, you know, but underneath it's actually about the reunification of germany <laughs> but it's funny i mean also netflix just ordered two seasons of it 30 million dollars an episode let's get it started mm-hmm. baby but we also get uh ivy's i've got a feeling playing in the background yeah yeah and it's not on the soundtrack and that means there are no women on this soundtrack <laughs> not a single one i didn't not. do that on purpose i swear to you no i know it was the year 2000. Or, sorry, let me take that again. It was 2002. It, no, women weren't allowed. You couldn't escape it. You could be Gwen Stefani and that's it. <laughs> um, but I have to say, ever since we did uh, This Is The Day mm-hmm. on There's Something About Mary, I have been obsessed with Ivy. They keep popping up and they're always so good. Yes. Um, this is from their album Apartment Life and I've been listening to it a lot. I was like, that's, oh my God, that's Ivy. I've got a feeling. I didn't realize that was on the soundtrack. And I was like, oh, shoot, no. <laughs> no, it it's isn't. not. And it plays twice in the movie. Really? Twice? Yeah. I didn't catch the second time. Yep, it's when they're making out in the car later on. Oh, okay. Take it away. Sean meets his idol, finally, because Ashley has officially rebuffed him and sent him on his merry way. And he comes across Marcus Skinner wandering around campus at 1030 at night. Why is everyone here so late? Is everyone at the party? I don't know. He's probably trolling. He's an English professor, so I'm guessing he's trolling for students to sleep with. I mean, probably. And Marcus Skinner, believe it or not, is played by Kevin Klein. Yes. <laughs> Having uh, lived with Bob's Burgers for 10 years, I can no longer hear his voice without thinking of Mr. Fish Odor. Professor Fish Odor. Professor Fish Odor. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I felt the same way. Oh, yeah. 
but he's great. And he, then he proceeds to explain the, the entire theme of the movie and explain everything that we've seen so far. And now I want to yes. kill myself. Yes, because he read Orange County and of course he loved it. And of course it's based on Sean's life because male writers are terrible. Honestly, Sean is, as I said, he's every male writer I've ever known. I hate him. I know this man. You, you know what they say, Ray, what you know. But it, is, it doesn't help if you don't know anything. Yeah, if you only know Orange County. But he does have a line in here that I really love, and I hate that I really identified with it. And every good writer has a conflicted relationship with the place where he grew up. Joyce, Faulkner, Tolstoy. And that's what I remember loving about your story. It's very conflicted. Motherfucker! He's right. And, I mean, all you have to do is get our our guest, Mackenzie Cassidy's Here Lies a Father. That's Cobleskill that he's writing about. Mm-hmm. It's where we grew up. And I, I love that. I love that he identified that and put words to that because I've always felt it. But I guarantee you that Sean did not mean for these deep relationships in the subtext of his stories. I guarantee you that Sean's story, Orange County, was thick-fisted and broad and self-important and clownish in how it looks down on these characters because this movie is clownish on how it looks down on these characters. But you know that he thinks what he wrote is brilliant because you see at the beginning of the movie, he's like pacing his bedroom and like writing notes and talking to himself. Like he knows he's on like the track of something great. Yes. But you can also tell from... The, the way he treats his family and the family, the people that we meet, it, they're all terrible. So he clearly hates everybody. Yes. And they're, they're all terrible, but that's because we're seeing them through his eyes. Yes. yes. And they're probably just normal. Um, and I know that I, I would like want to give writing advice to Sean, even though he's fictional and this was 20 years ago. Um, he probably teaches in an MFA program now. He probably teaches at Stone Coast. Um, the stories you write when you're 19 are the fucking cringiest shit you've ever written. Mm-hmm. And I know uh-huh. because I wrote stories at 19. Oh, yeah. They're cringe as hell. Nobody wants to read them. Not even yourself. No, don't do it. So, like, I know this. Sto- I know in my heart that the story that uh, Professor Skinner is reading is bad i know it in my heart or if it's good what kind of shit is he reading from his actual students that he's impressed by this probably honestly the same shit maybe there's just it's a class made up of two skinny girls one token person of color and then a bunch of shawns mm-hmm. i i can't see like i can't deny it because you're like you're absolutely yeah. right i was there yeah. i know i was probably Nailed that sean and i'm sorry oh yeah so Sean leaves Skinner's office emotionally renewed, and he goes off to fight Ashley, but uh, not before we hear the next song on our soundtrack, which is Under the Tracks by the band Creeper Lagoon. Which I think wins best band name this episode. <laughs> best band name on the album, yes. Let's go to a clip. Throw Creeper Lagoon onto the same pile as Shark Island and Rhino Bucket. They're going to go on <laughs> tour this summer. 
Yes. I really like this song. We know that I'm deeply susceptible to this kind of music. Mm -hmm. And because it's got enough of a kick where you don't feel like you're suffocating under the weight of a down comforter the way like Pete Yorn is. Which is to say there's a drummer and a beat and the song goes somewhere. Yeah. It's a little twangy and it's kind of catchy. Now, apparently this song is often misattributed to Coldplay, which I can hear. Mm hmm. Oh, absolutely. the vocalist and also because no one's ever heard of uh, Creeper Lagoon but I kind of hear more of the shins or like a mellower push stars I can hear that this this is this has more like late 90s jangle pop than it does 2000s indie rock to me mm-hmm. yeah it's on it's, and, it's on that side of the divide for sure yes now the lead singer's name is uh Sharky Laguna and I love that voice. why am I not surprised that's the best I mean, he he can hang out. He can be in Shark Island. Uh, but what I like about this, other than that, it actually is a nice song to listen to outside of the context of the film, is that it's music that's honest to the character. Because this sounds like the kind of thing, unlike everything else on here, this is the kind of music that I think of Sean listening to. Oh, yeah. It's tame enough and it's thoughtful enough that I can, he, he would probably think this was deep. Yeah, but it's not jello-y. Yeah, exactly. He also, he runs into Lance, uh, who's hiding the bushes from the arson charge um, because firefighter Ben Stiller is looking for him. But I love the way he says, we are going to Mexico. (laughs) You leave Ashley behind. We're going to Mexico. (laughs) I don't know what kind of conditioner he uses, but his hair is luxurious. His hair is perfect. The flowing, beautiful, tufted mane. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, he looks like a, a hot mess. Yeah, this man. I love him. But guess so. what? Sean and Lance pull up to the party to pick up Ashley. The next song on our soundtrack is playing. It's your favorite and mine. It's lit. It's everything's cool. can't have nice things anymore i hate lit <laughs> and i'm not going to talk about this song because i hate them more than anything like i cannot tell you the rage i feel when i hear my own worst anime that's something that i actually wanted to bring up in regard to this album because my own worst enemy was like what three or four years prior to this that was their only know. hit Time lit, is meaningless as far as as far as i you and mtv are concerned lit is over by this point why they added this to the album i will never know they probably got it for five bucks. <sighs> That's okay. Wow. You got me there. Honestly, lit is just smash mouth for dudes with prison tattoos. <laughs> if honest, if you love lit, you're probably listening to this episode on your way to McDonald's for court supervised visits with your kids from your second failed marriage. God. Yeah. No, lit is terrible. They're a terrible band for terrible people. <laughs> I hate them, and I hate this song, and I hate that this was on the soundtrack when Ivy plays in the very next scene. We hear, I've got a feeling, again. (laughs) You're not wrong. Nothing you're saying right now is wrong, and I agree with you completely. Yeah. I don't don't have an opinion on Lit because uh, every time this song comes on, I just think, I'm not listening to that, and I 
when yeah. I say this song, I mean uh, my own worst enemy. When I every time that song comes on the radio, I change the channel. I say I'm not listening to that. I have no opinion on lit. No, to my have opinion. an opinion on lit is to have is to waste precious air of your air and time of your life thinking about lit. <laughs> No, well, you brought it up. You picked this soundtrack, and now I had to think about Lit, and that's time I'm never going to get back. Mm. Oh. But, so, he's trying to get Ashley to come with them, and Lance has to be the one to tell him, to tell Ashley that he loves her, and that makes me mad, because Ashley deserves someone who could tell her that he loves her, and because she is just a prop to him. And she's a prop for the, like, for him, I mean, the screenwriters. She's not a fully formed character. And that she would be taken by this, like, puppet. This weird little mannequin that is like, oh, I love you. Go study marine biology and marry a cool dude who has a, like, tattoo of sea turtles or something awesome. Don't hang out with this guy. He's a putz. You know what? Go hang out with the, the German vampire guy. He seems like he's at least got an idea in his head. Yeah, I'd watch that show. <laughs> so, don't trust a guy who has lit playing in his head rather than Ivy's, I've got a feeling. <laughs> and by that, I mean the executives who put this together. Because when they're making out, he's thinking, probably thinking about Ivy's, I've got a feeling. <laughs> Very we forgot good. to mention that... Uh, mom and dad start sleeping together again. They get back together. Yay, good for them. Yeah, good for them, because we need to cash that one out. Yes. And also, uh, the surfer buddies are gay, and I'm really happy for them. Yeah, I mean, good for them. Yeah, I'm really uh, happy for them. Sean and Lance and Ashley come back into town. Sean having learned an important lesson, question mark, um, <laughs> to, to the tune of Jimmy Eat World's The Middle. A song which bafflingly is not on the soundtrack. You know what other movie uh, this was on the soundtrack for? What's that? Life and Something Like It. Are you kidding me? Really? I'm not making this up. This was in Life or Something Like It. That is the most insane plot twist and I didn't even see it coming. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this movie now with all my being. (laughs) I love the song, The Middle. And I feel like I shouldn't. Because it's dopey. But again, I was, you know, I was 20 when that song came out. And mm-hmm. my sister Hillary says it always reminds her of me. So Because oh. I was kind of like, I was picked on in high school. And she's like, no, you were really cool. And like, don't let that bother you. So I've had a couple people tell them that song reminds them of me. Which then I'm like, wait a second. What are you trying to say? <laughs> it just takes some time, Libby. Yeah. But I grew into a well-adjusted adult, so I guess everything was just fine and everything's all right. The Sweetness is a better Jimmy Eat World song. I will admit I am very ignorant of Jimmy Eat World. I don't know yeah, many songs Yeah, The Sweetness was, I think, their one. second single, and that's worth looking up. That's as far as, like, a little slice of early aughts power pop, mm-hmm. The Sweetness is where it's at. Uh, so, yeah, everybody returns home. Mom and dad reveal that they've donated a shitload of money to Stanford and gotten Sean into Stanford. Because guess what? The the admissions office burned down, I guess, and they need money for a new one. Yeah, it turns out money can buy happiness. How can you say I'm a bad mother? I'm not saying that. Mom, you know that money can't buy happiness. Oh, grow up. Yes, it can. That is 
so cosmically awful, I really can't fathom it. Yeah, this is so, like, they buy his way into college. And I know we're not supposed to support that. Like, we're we're not supposed to be on his side with that. But it's still the happy ending. Yeah. I'm just like, no, I hate this. While this revelation uh, hits, we get the next song, which is Brian Wilson's Love and Mercy. Let's go to a clip. Seem like we never will. Love and mercy, that's what you need to So love and mercy to you I identify with this because I'm also sitting in a crummy movie. <laughs> And it's called Orange County, and the song is in it. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I, I, I know I should love the Beach Boys, and I don't. I just, they just don't land with me. And I know that's probably going to get me canceled by like the five people who still follow us on Twitter after the mass exodus. But I'm sorry, it's just who I am. I mean, it's not your fault. It's, it's Mike Love's fault, really. Yeah, that guy sucks. Brian Wilson tried his hardest, and you know this is if this is an example of what he's what he can do at his hardest like as i say let brian wilson got a bum deal for sure like he should have yeah he should have been a, a bigger deal at this point in his life yeah oh I love boy it. then uh i'll take lay down burden over this one yeah this i mean I don't, I don't to me they're they're kind of interchangeable so it's it's one or the other but i don't mind either one yeah to wrap things up uh sean writes a closing letter to marcus skinner to thank him, tell him that he's reburied the book of his that he has so treasured. Which is a nice touch. It's a very sweet touch. I appreciate that. It's like some let, let some other kid have his Orange County moment, you know? Yeah. But also um, that he, he's decided he doesn't need to leave Orange County to go to college and be a good writer. Because guess what? In this economy, you can write anywhere. Yeah. And also, he's a, a wealthy white boy. He's going to do right. fine wherever he goes. And the song that this the song that gets us into uh, the closing credits as Sean and his buddies run off into the sunset to go surfing is uh, Sugar Bombs. Hello. just considered a hidden track on the album which is yeah that's weird yeah i don't know why this wasn't the breakout single because this has like movie single featuring the song hello by sugar bomb written all over it because it's a band that had like was brand new and it's very catchy it's lovely so i i don't know why this wasn't like the the top song on the soundtrack i mean obviously the foo fighters are more established but this just has that, again, that indie cred you're trying to go for, that indie MTV cred. It's such a fun, upbeat song. Like, it doesn't quite jive with the like the Offspring and the Quarashis and all the other just sort of downbeat stuff that's already on the soundtrack. Yeah, which is why... It stands out more, in fact. Yeah, which is why I would think it would be that single, because it, it has that potential written all over it. That it is so mm-hmm. different. It is so outlandish when compared to everything else, that it feels deliberate and that that it's a hidden track and wasn't a single 
yeah, but kind of, to hide it's, the it's, track it's, completely is, is baffling. It's very odd, but um, I have loved this song forever. I get chills when I hear this song because Ian put this on the first mix he made me, track one, before we were even dating. So how could I not fall in oh. love with that man? I know. That was when he opened a mix That's CD. That's wonderful. With, oh my God, the first notes, I was like, That's it. I'm in love. <laughs> so great. Um, it's just, it's the best of the early aughts. It's sunshine and promise and falling in love. And it really deserves better than this movie. Wow. Yeah, it does. This is kind of wasted here, if I'm being honest. And especially over the credits. I like, yeah, but- I like that it plays over the end credits because it works perfectly. But like to hide the song completely on the soundtrack, it. It deserved better. Well, I think also because Ian didn't hear it on this soundtrack. Let me just. Text oh, him really? Can... Yes. He heard it on another soundtrack. Um... I swear to God, if you say life or something like it, I'm going to break something. No, Ian remembers it from Van Wilder. Huh. Okay. It was the, it was the, the song in that. You know what else? Who else is on the Van Wilder soundtrack? Who's that? Jimmy Eat World with Bleed American. Oh, it, it all just <laughs> comes spiraling back, doesn't it? It just yes. It's two thousand feedback loop was a very specific time. We, there were like four bands, and you had to use them <laughs> on your soundtrack. So he was kind of surprised to, to hear this on there. Um, honestly, Sugar Bomb deserved better they were kind of the vapors of the early aughts um they really only had one major album bully uh where the song comes from and a follow-up and they were quickly dropped by their label and vanished bully is a great song and for some reason i always think of bully as being in clueless which it's not it it's came out years later but i think i must i think i have it on a mix with the smoking popes need you around, which was on Clueless. Mm, yeah. So I think yeah, it's like it it, it. there's some, some cross wires in my head. Um, but highly, highly recommend uh, Sugar Bomb's Bully for anyone looking for that power pop sound of the early 2000s. It really is a great representative okay. of it. And this song, this song is one of those, like, it's too good and I feel it too deeply. So I don't listen to it that often. So, because there's, I just like, I get really in my feelings. Yeah, this was like never a song that I gave much thought to. Like, even, you know, seeing Orange County uh, way back when, I don't even remember it. But I, this was a, a really good, fun surprise for me. I like this one a lot. Yeah, put it on for Nikki. I, I should do that. No surprise her. Yeah. Uh, but that's not the end of the soundtrack, everybody, because there's one song left. And I'm almost afraid to, to play it because I don't know how Libby's going to react. Um, the last song on the, that plays during the credits is California by the band Phantom Planet. As we go, nothing's gonna stop me now. California, here we come. Right back where we started from. A pedal to the floor, thinking of the war. Gotta get us to the show. California, here we come. Right back where we started from. California. Yeah, no, this song was fine. Um, it's 
kind of counting crow's light it kind of is this this is the one that i remember being like a big deal from this movie because you know like a year later it became the theme song to the oc and oh okay all of a sudden That's it was everywhere but but like everybody lost their minds over this and i thought no it was in orange county and it's it makes sense because it's a song about california yeah we hated california in the early aughts <laughs> Like, we just fucking hated California. Oh, we got the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Californication. We've got Madonna's Hollywood. It's just like society, man. Oh, the, the, the bleeding edge of America can go fuck itself. Yeah, it's just like Hollywood. It's all so fake. And of course. Let's go to 7-Eleven for a Slurpee. Mm-hmm. Crank, crank that Smashing Pumpkins. Let's do it. Yeah, we just really fucking hated California. And of course, the, the Phantom Planet at the time was famous because uh, their, their original drummer was Jason Schwartzman, uh, who I think does play on drums on this song. And then he immediately exited the band because, Oh, I'm an actor now I can go do actor things. Yeah. Because he had to go be like an indie hot shit. He had to play second string in a Wes Anderson movie and he's been doing it ever since. Yikes. So. Yeah. I, I like this song a lot. I it's more mellow than I remember it being, but I also, it's, it's kind of, this is what I, more remember from 2002 than anything else in the soundtrack that's fair and I, I appreciate it in that sense like this phantom planet felt like they were going to be a big band and then they just really weren't yeah that seems to be other than the foo fighters that's kind of the central thesis <laughs> like band, of this album bands that should have been bigger than they were and or bands that are past their prime yeah so in the case of the offspring and lit and brian wilson yeah but even by that point i mean you know yeah yeah 60s were a long time ago, man. That's true. But yeah, it's, it's odd that Brian Wilson is like the lone sort of classic rock kind of staple that's put onto this soundtrack. And it, it's I get why. It's just because he's that that Orange County, that California beach culture connection. Yeah. But it feels so calculated. It does. And, and out of place amongst the anger. Because even the like soft boy indie rock is still an emotional aggressiveness to it that isn't present on the Brian Wilson tracks. Yeah, yeah. It's... That are just, like, very delicate and very sweet. Like, I can imagine a version of Orange County that that's made today, and it's all Beach Boys tracks. Oh, yeah. And that would also somehow be insufferable. Like, can you not try so hard? It would be, a, it would be like a Richard Linkletter movie about his time in California, even though everybody knows he's from Texas. Oh, Christ. He, that, that sounds like the kind of thing he would do is just suddenly pretend he was from California. <laughs> but that's Orange County, everybody. Yes. If you loved it when you were 15, as we warned with things like Empire Records, don't rewatch it. It will not hold up. Yeah. Let the past be the past. There are, there are definitely some good tracks on this album. I think we were initially pretty down on it. But, you know, the the ones that really shine, they'll surprise you. Like, I, the you know, Social Distortion... The Cake Song, Creeper Lagoon, Sugar Bum, Phantom Planet, pretty good. Like half of this album is at least pretty good. The rest of them can kind of take or leave. Yes, but it's definitely a time capsule of the early aughts, bless its heart. It, it really, really is. And also of, of that kind of last fleeting moment where MTV really tried to care about music. And yeah. Their, yeah. their programming would soon shift into things like... Uh, uh, my super sweet 16 and ridiculousness and whatever the hell that's on TV nowadays. I think it's all just ridiculousness. It's a shame. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just garbage. Rest in peace, MTV. You you were too cool for this stupid earth. Yeah. R.I.P. Dumb, beautiful bastard. <laughs> um, well, that's that for Orange County. Libby, what's coming up next time on the show? Up next, we're bringing in a special guest. We've got uh, Quentin Harrison, who's going to talk with us about Spice World. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm really, really excited about that. I think we're going to have a really good time with him. He's so smart. He's got a book out about the Spice Girls. He's kind of the the guy. That sounds so. great. I can't wait. Yeah. We can have some fun. Yeah, it's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, so. Until then, Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me uh, for right now on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me over on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. Joe, where can they find you? Uh, again, for right now, you can find me on Twitter at Cordial Wombat or the same at Cordial Wombat on Instagram. I guess I should start getting used to Instagram. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Um, and then again, for the time being, you can you can tweet anything you want to us at OST Party on Twitter or uh, send us anything you want at ostpartypod at gmail.com. Uh, so for the OST Party, I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. <laughs>